welcome. Welcome everyone to eConversations. This is the podcast that we like to do at NABE every Monday after the jobs report. Um, this is Ellen Zentner. I'm, I'm the president of NABE this year. I've got Julia Coronado with me, our repeat guest, uh, who was last year's president of NABE uh, and to talk about the jobs report, and Svenja Goodell, uh, who is the chief economist at Indeed Hiring Lab, and we're really excited to have her on the podcast today because she's got a lot of great insights to share from a data sample that dwarfs that used by the BLS for the jobs report. Um, so we wanted to hear from her as well. But but um, Julia, it was a big report, big report, more than 300,000 jobs created. Um, yes. What was your immediate knee-jerk reaction? Um, my was, uh, holy cow. Uh, so Thank not, you for keeping it clean. <laughs> yeah, it was something along those lines. It was a, a blockbuster report on most dimensions, full of the usual January noise. So we got this blockbuster jobs gain, but like what an epic decline in hours worked so that actually aggregate hours work fell, which is very, you know, on the one hand, that's a, a pattern we had established last year that as the labor market kind of balanced out, there were more people, but fewer, like a shorter work week. That was kind of a, uh, a, a established pattern last year. So that kind of came out in spades this time. But I th there was also, you know, a sort of surprising upward revision to the past six months. We had seen a serial pattern of downward revisions and the benchmark, the annual benchmark was negative. It was initially estimated at negative 306. It came in at, I think, negative 260 something. Yeah, it's always very close to what they what they give yeah. us. Yeah, so it was like oh, downward, surprising. but it didn't follow through into a lower run rate, which is often the case. It actually, we saw the that whole pattern of downward revisions from last year reverse and get revised back up. So... Yeah. December was a blockbuster upward revision, 117th. So it was a really, I mean, you know, stepping back, it's really, uh, you know, another January surprise, big noise in the data. I think the, the main thing I can take away is that the, uh, the labor market continues to be resilient and there's yeah. no imminent yeah. cloud on the horizon. The other thing that's really interesting is now last year we had this wide divergence between household sector hiring and payroll hiring with the household sector a lot weaker. And then the January benchmark revised that away in favor of payrolls, right? The household yeah. survey was revised up with a population benchmark. And this year we got the opposite. It was revised yeah. down. Yeah, that's why that's the frustrating thing is you can't really anticipate the direction of travel in those revisions. You know there was a gap. Yeah. And you know that the revisions tend to close that gap. Uh, it didn't close it all the way, but if you look at it over a longer time horizon, they look not so far from each other. Uh, but I was too surprised. I was too. I was also surprised by downward back revisions, uh, or sorry, upward back revisions, because we had gotten so used to downward back revisions. You know, if I put a positive spin on the on the the continued drop in the work week, I mean, it was down broadly across industries. And, um, you know, the hours per worker is another one of those indicators that can reflect backfilling and labor hoarding, which has been something that 
you know, we point to that as yeah. long as we're, you know, understaffed firms are bringing down hours per worker once they start uh, uh, getting closer to appropriate level of payrolls, that that's kind of that soft landing story for the labor market. So mm-hmm. if I had to try to pick through things, uh, you know, right. spin it positively, you know, that's sort of how I I was looking at the, the work week because what does that tell you? When the work week falls flat, there's no growth right. <laughs> in the economy. I mean, it, right. it pretty well matches GDP. But, but Svenja, let me bring you in here because um, you do so much detailed work on the labor market. And, and of course, you've got your own incredibly robust data source to work from. Uh, and, uh, you know, we saw something else diverge or interesting in this report where ours average hourly earnings surprise to the upside, right. but your data may be showing something different. Can you shed some light on that? Definitely, and, and I do wanna say thanks so much for having me on, it's a, it's a pleasure. So um, lovely to be here with both of you. Uh, and you know, certainly um, looking, looking at the, the jobs report in general, I think it was you know, one of those like wow reports, like that was a bit unexpected of how strong the year kicked off, right? And um, to me, when you're looking at wages, um, that to me was part of the the underbelly story where you had um, hours worked come down, uh, wages technically then went up even slightly, so certainly related on that front. Um, when looking at our own data, so we have the Indeed wage tracker that we um, uh, that we look at, and it's a, it's a bit different. Here we actually look at uh, job postings, and we look at how posted wages react over time. So uh, perhaps a bit more leading than than other indicators, as you know, some of that uh, movement will will trickle through into actual job offers, and then uh, butts and seats, if you will, in in the actual right. labor market. And we our cur- our latest data on that is um, we're at three point eight percent. In terms of year-over-year wage growth, and that is in line with our overall trajectory that we've seen. You know, we we topped out close to 10% uh, in early 2022, uh, which of course was crazy high growth, um, and and really showed the the tightness in the market at the time and the demand for labor and trying to attract uh, talent. And since then, we've been on a relatively consistent. Uh, uh, Albeit not crazy fast decline in uh, in wages, uh, and we have not seen any sort of uptick uh, quite quite yet, um, or or really ever. Um, you know, something to keep in mind is that um, you know, take your favorite measure of, of uh, wage growth. They all slightly differ depending how how definitionally you go after it, right? Um, uh, but the the general picture I think is there that we're seeing an overall decrease in in wage growth, um, which, you know, if you're coming from the policy side is something I think you'd want to see. Um, Certainly the the Fed would be pleased to see that little bit of uptick. um, To me also, well, could be be weather related that impacted um, hours worked um, and then trickled through to wages could also be uh, related to the fact that, you know, this isn't a smooth ride, right? Uh, And it, it could be, particularly as you're getting a little bit closer to the end here, um, where you're reaching perhaps something closer to steady state at some point, you'll see a little bit of fluctuation up and down. Yeah, there'd be some natural wiggle room. I think I think what, what always impresses me with, uh, uh, with your data is that large data sets tend to be a bit smoother, though. You look at the measure yeah. like average hourly earnings based on a very small sample, and it tends to be quite 
volatile. But I think I think your point, Svenjan, on something that that policymakers can embrace. I mean, when you think about sort of the rule of thumb for what would be the, uh, you know, normal, not normal, but appropriate uh, rate of wage growth that would would lead you to not be worried about inflationary spillovers, right? So the, the Fed points to this rule of thumb, which is productivity uh, plus your inflation target. You could think of it as kind of a, a ceiling on wage growth where anything there around there is healthy and anything above it, maybe you get worried if it's sustained for a time, it could be inflationary. And we're sort of within those ranges and within those ranges, right. whether we're looking at your measure, Svenja, or or average hourly earnings or labor compensation within the ECI. I mean, are you, Julia, your shop does fantastic work on inflation. I mean, it's it's been some time that that we've not had to be worried about inflationary spillovers from wages. I mean, are we just, yeah, that's in the rearview mirror? Uh, I I think so. And, you know, and, and, and to the point you just made, Ellen, you know, productivity has been running really strong. Like it was estimated yeah. to be 2.7% last year. So 4% wage growth is actually nothing. You know, you're still not uh, uh, even. Really, that's, a, that's a really good point, right? Like, I mean, if, yeah. if we're looking at stronger productivity, there's room for higher wage growth. In there. Yeah, 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 yes. exactly. And exactly. I think it's interesting if you look at, so our our um, equity strategists will do the quarterly scrubbing of the company transcripts to see sort of tone and changes and things like that. I mean, there are more and more companies reporting, you know, CapEx, capital deepening because the labor share of corporate income is higher and wage growth is slowing, but that means the level of wages is still rising. Your labor costs are still rising. And so you've got to do some capital deepening to offset that. And maybe that's what's driving some of these productivity numbers. I think the difficult question is, is when I get, uh, you know, questions into my inbox of how much of the productivity uh, boom in the fourth quarter is AI. Now in real time, no. it's very difficult to answer that question. Well, but it seems like very, I mean, AI depends on what we're talking about, right? Like generative AI is very new. Yeah. Um, and likely, you know, a source of like cost and investment right now without much payoff yet. But we've been in a strong investment cycle for years now. I mean, it's not about, to me, like thinking that this is AI is missing the forest for the trees. You know, you you had a extremely strong investment environment. The pandemic served as a catalyst requiring firms to invest in business operational improvements so that they could operate remotely in the pandemic. And lots of things got pulled forward that were on the, you know, on the books for planning improvements over years. So we saw this strong investment. We had a super strong labor market to your point, Ellen, of you're in an environment where labor is getting expensive. It's hard to acquire. So you squeeze out as much efficiencies. We saw so many companies talking about that, right? Yeah. Even like fast food, you know, using QR codes and pickup windows and like, you know, trying to find ways that you could deliver the same food with fewer people, um, you know, all the way down at that level in the service industry. So, you know, the hot labor market, which is, you know, what, what it was supposed to deliver was productivity enhancements. 
So AI is just like the latest kid on the block. I think yeah. we've been in an environment where it's like the combination of a catalyzing event, just like Y2K did in the late 90s. Remember yeah. the Y2K focal point led everybody to upgrade their systems and their processes and get more efficient and led to an investment boom that let me let me tell you that my my niece went to a uh thrift shop the other day to look for y2k <laughs> thrift because it's old now uh half of our listeners may not know what, what exactly what even we're talking about that was y2k oh man <laughs> but um Svenja, let me ask you this because um, early on when it seemed like uh, the labor market was um, just extraordinarily, extraordinarily tight. Um, and it seemed like, you know, there were all these job postings and no one wanted to work. And we would hear from policymakers about this and they were pointing to the JOLTS data. And it seemed like the JOLTS data on job openings and your post job postings were just well far off. From from each other, and you can correct me if I if I if I'm not remembering that correctly. We know that job openings from Jolts have been coming down. Um, is there still a, sort of a? Are your two measures saying anything different? Or directionally, yeah. is the same? How are you looking, or what are you finding in your job postings? So looking at a job job posting, I'd say in overall Jolts data um, and 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 our uh, postings index actually line up quite well. Um, you know, I think there when you're looking at um, you know the the immediate uh, bust and then boom, you see a little bit more um, of a divergence. Uh, nothing nothing crazy, I'd say, but you know the the overall trend is in line. Lately, we've been really we've been really tight actually in terms of uh, overall how how we're trending with jolts. Most of the time after jolts gets restated, in particular, um, and you know we we don't see the um, you know to, to your earlier point, Alan, we don't see the the fluctuations quite as much. We have you know millions and millions of data points underlying this index um, in in the U.S. Um, and so uh, you know uh, which is competing with a much smaller sample on the Jolt side, right? So the the um, possibility of just see, seeing larger divergence is certainly given just because of that. Uh, and we've you know when you're looking at our data, we've seen a a slow and steady decline in, in job postings, which goes with the overall narrative that we are in a cooling labor market at this point. But it's worth pointing out that we're still 20% um, higher than we were pre-pandemic. So mm -hmm. we're still seeing very strong labor demand, which is borne out by the, the jobs report that we just saw. Um, so all that is still in line. And, and we're seeing very similar moves in terms of looking at um, you know what sectors are seeing strength we have anything care related so child care uh, health care nursing all these these types of uh, sectors right we're seeing uh, continued strong demand only slight easing actually from their highs at this point whereas um you know uh perhaps unexpectedly uh, at some point in our not so uh you know um not so far off uh, history um, if you are finding yourself a software developer, um, you know, demand is down quite a bit there, uh, below pre-pandemic levels, right? The same holds for HR, marketing, um, HR is a bit of more. Oh, no. of a finance, you see the same kind of softening in finance? 
banking finance is down. It's actually um, looking at the latest numbers slightly below uh, pre-pandemic levels at this point. So definitely a soft spot there as well. Um, interestingly enough, we're wondering if we're kind of if we've bottomed out in, in terms of demand on the on the tech side. If we're starting to come see that come back a little bit, which you know maybe that's a little bit of an AI story on that front. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, similar to you, I feel like um, you know the the AI story is going to be with us for many many years, particularly the Gen AI story. So yeah. you know, I get the question just like you, Alan, all the time. Like, hey, what what part of this is related to AI? Are productivity numbers so high because of AI? Are job postings coming down because AI is displacing all these jobs? And in general, you know, gosh, it is just too soon to tell. It's going to take quite some time if you think yeah, about it but it's, but it's exciting. all this yeah, really it's, exciting. You know. it's the shiny new nickel <laughs> it um, is the shiny object right it's the shiny um, object that could make us all millions <laughs> well and i, I mean it, it, i do think it's going to have quite uh quite an impact on the labor market at some point yeah. you know in in um in probably not so distant future i think we'll see right. quite a, quite a bit of impact we did some research that showed that literally every job will be exposed to Gen AI uh, in some form, you know, but most jobs um, cannot at all be done by Gen AI or the tools that that technology uh, affords you with. And so you still need that human in the driver's seat to, to actually reap the benefits of Gen AI. And we're not seeing pure displacement of any jobs, you know, a bunch of augmentation, which is going to take quite some time to implement as employers kind of figure out how to actually do all this and employees learn how to use the tools. But uh, so far, no full jobs are fully displaced, which is a little bit different than, you know, the automation story, the AI automation uh, story that, you know, I think all of us have, um, you know, have been talking about for you know, decades, probably at this point. Yeah, I think I think when well gosh that gosh that's so interesting to have you on Svenja so I'm thinking about a question I want to ask but let me go to Julia first real quick where the heck are all the people coming from for these jobs so so you you've been concerned that we've been the breadth of job gains has been yeah. narrowing of course as economists we love to see diffusion we want to see broad gains to to be sure that we're not on some sort of precarious footing but gosh, we just created another 350,000 jobs. Like, where are they? Are they coming from straight out of the labor force into the labor force? Like, where are they coming from? Well, that's a great question. And again, there we have a bit of a conundrum between the payroll and the household survey. Because in the household survey, accounting, like controlling for the population benchmark over the last six months, we barely created like 30, 40,000 jobs a month. So if that's the picture in the household survey where we measure unemployment and the unemployment rate, you don't need that many people. And in fact, what the, what the household survey found was that population growth slowed down. And that was an interesting feature because we had been expecting not the same kind of upward revision we've seen over the past two years because they've caught up to kind of the idea that immigration flows and visa flows are, have, you know, they're running actually above pre-pandemic, but and that, in fact, you saw immigration slightly upwardly revised. It was domestic. It was local participants, you know, uh, native-born people that where the population really fell. Um, so, you know, again, you look at the household survey, and it looks like a picture of slowing job growth, slowing labor supply. 
So the unemployment rate stays where it is. But on the payroll survey, actually, there's been a little bit of a reacceleration in job gains. Uh, so, you know, again, there's some tension between the data sources. Um, I would say on the labor supply front, on the immigration side, we track these flows, as you know, no let up. You know, the visa granting is just a matter of one catch up from the pandemic, but also just an immigration system that's staffed and functioning normally um, and uh, and delivering a flow of workers uh, that should be ongoing. And then the sort of native born labor supply that we'll see this year, a bit of that is gonna be dependent on the labor demand, right? A lot of people have come back, um, you know, employment population prime age, we're at or above, you know, the, the pre-pandemic levels. So the labor force is engaged and to your point, you know, a lot of the research shows that at this stage in the labor market, people tend to go from out of the labor force directly into employment. Uh, and so right. Again, right. that labor supply will be endogenous to demand. If there's demand for workers and people are willing to pay and accommodate people that have left the labor force, well, then maybe they'll be able to um, bring those people in. And if they don't need those people, those people won't come back in. So. Remote work has been a really interesting angle on that front as well, right? If you think about what what that has meant for the domestic workforce and, uh, you know, what types of groups have been more attracted to to enter the labor force and are able to participate fully with remote work as an option. Right. No. And do you guys, because that's like a, a hugely interesting question for me yeah. is, you know, if you look at, for example, the labor force engagement of women, prime age women, we are just like on a rocket ship to record highs. And that comes despite expensive daycare and all the kind of challenges that women are grappling with. And certainly we've done nothing, <laughs> you know, out, we had a lot of pandemic support that's now expired. And now, you know, we're, we're kind of just dealing with it. But, but I am so curious, do you, can you guys see um, how much remote work is, bringing women in? I mean, can you shed light on that at all with your data? We try to triangulate it. So we look at, we're able to see, um, you know, from the employer side, how much employers are offering remote work. Then we can see um, interest in jobs by just, you know, clicks and applies to those types of jobs. And certainly remote work brings more interest with it. Um, and then, um, we're able just to look at user searches, right? How many times does someone actually look for a remote job? And interestingly enough there, we've seen that there's consistent interest in remote work, even though employers have certainly started to scale back slightly in terms of what they're willing to offer. Uh, but so far, uh, interest remains remains uh, high. And then we do run regular surveys uh, on, the, on the workforce. And we do find what you're describing, Julia, that uh, women in particular highly value flexible work. So, yeah. you know, obviously compensation is number one that makes you consider taking a new job. Um, but, you know, remote work or flexible work um, come, is number two for women right there. And that's the biggest discrepancy to men where, you know, if you're trying to get your toddler to daycare and your, you know, kindergartner into school and your third grader off as well, having that extra flexibility is huge, right? Yes. Uh, particularly as I'm sitting in my home office right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not having to do the hour long commute is lovely. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, that's really interesting. So 
So you guys can kind of get at that and, and see that there, there's an interest there and a supply of people that if they get the right working conditions, they will work or you can crack them. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you have been talking about for a long time that, you know, the, the um, supply of, of remote jobs is declining, but the demand is not declining as fast. And at what point do employers have to play, you know, have to play the game and, and, and deal with that demand and, and use it as a um, advantage in attracting the human capital that they need. And I think, honestly, we're at that point. I feel like we always talk about, oh, you know, employers are trying to pull everyone back into the office. And we've been saying that for a while now. And I think that we are at the point where employers are realizing that hybrid work um, were possible, of course, which is you know only a sliver of the of the labor market, not the not the whole deal. Um, but for for that portion of the labor market where where remote or hybrid work is possible, it's I think it's here to stay. I don't think we're reducing those numbers uh, to any great amount. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's news to the. I mean, uh, that's uh, great news for the younger generations too. They're only going to remember sort of these working arrangements, um, yeah. hybrid and the, and the like. So, and we always said, right, that if there's a good thing that, that came out of COVID, it would be women's labor force participation rate increasing. We certainly want to see labor force participation rate um, uh, prime age pick up. It did, it pick, did pick up a 10th in this report, even though if you looked at total participation, it did not uh, pick up and has fallen for a few months, but prime age was up. So we need to continue to, to see that. Um, so what I'm going to do here, well, Svenja, I'm going to first ask you, are we going to see you at the NAVES policy conference coming up in February? Unfortunately not. I would love to. It's actually one of my favorite conferences, but I'm not it. able to make it because I have another, I have another uh, conflict with, with an external uh, meeting. Oh, gosh. Well, let me let you know. That gives me the opening to let you know what you're going to miss. <laughs> Rub it in, in your February, February 14th to 16th, NAVE's policy conference in D.C. We're going to start off with the likes of Governor Michael Barr, uh, the vice chair for banking supervision. We're going to hear from Lael Brainerd. Remember that gal? All right. Former <laughs> vice chair Lael Brainerd, now the head of Biden's NEC. Um, we've got Mario Draghi, a uh, former head of the ECB. We've got Mary Daly, which our old Julia Coronado is going to be moderating. Uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Mary Daly is uh, a voter this year, correct? Yes, that is correct. Which we love to hear from voters. Julia is yes. quickly looking at her computer now to correct. Yeah, like him, is that true? <laughs> But anyhow, so it, it's a great conference. Um, you can find out all the dirty details of who's speaking at nabe.com, not nabe.org. That's the National Association for Bilingual Education. We <laughs> are nabe.com. Um, and you can find us here on eConversations every Monday after the jobs report. We've been so thrilled to have Svenja Goodell uh, from Indeed's Hiring Lab here. Uh, and we hope to have you on again, Svenja, to give us your insight. It would insight. be amazing. Would be I, I'd amazing. love to. Thank you so much for having me on this time. Great. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of eConversations with Nave. 
We hope to see you February 14th through 16th in Washington, D.C. for the 40th Annual Native Economic Policy Conference. Organized around the theme, Navigating Geopolitical Turbulence and Domestic Uncertainty, the conference will tackle policy issues through the pragmatic lens of business leaders and economists. Some of our headliners include Lyle Brainerd, Michael Barr, Mary Daly, Mario Draghi, and many more. You won't want to miss it. For more information and to register, please visit nave.com slash PC2024.